Well, good evening. Welcome to our Wednesday evening service. And we're glad to have you join us. And um, we would much prefer that you could join us in person, but since you can't, we're glad that you're joining, joining us over the Internet. <clears throat> and uh, we are planning this Sunday to have church inside our building. And uh, now there are several precautions we have to take. My wife sent out an email with that on uh, today. If you have questions about it, you can call us. But uh, you're going to have to wear a mask. You're going to have to check your temperature as you come in. And um, we're going to be uh, social, socially uh, separated like we're supposed to, six feet between, uh, not between individuals. Now, if you're a family, you can sit together and then six feet to the next person or persons uh, in the pews. And that reminds me, we're going to have to do a lot of cleaning <clears throat> for the services, uh, actually more sanitizing than cleaning, and we need help. <clears throat> so if you'd be willing to help us uh, to sanitize our auditorium and our foyer and uh, the pulpit area and all, let us know that you'd be willing to to participate in that and be a help. And we need help with grass cutting. Even though we haven't been able to have church, the grass still grows. So, fellas, if you would, let us know when you're available that we can plug you in in some grass cutting. All right, we're going to be in 2 John this evening. <clears throat> 2 John, that's towards the back of your Bible there. We're going to look at verses uh, 1 through 13, the, the entire chapter there. 2 John. John writes here, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found thy children walking in truth as we have received the commandment from the Father. <clears throat> now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth, transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you, 
and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. And let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Once again, Father, we come thankful, praising you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Thank you for your manifold blessings on us, and we know we don't deserve any of them, but we sure thank you for them. And pray that you would bless us once again tonight as we study your word. Might you speak to our hearts and minister to us as only you can. We need you. We need to hear from heaven tonight. And I pray that we might, we might be able to hear the truth from you, that you would speak to our hearts. We know that, that your word is truth and it's what we need. I pray now that you'd give me strength of voice and help me in that area, be able to deliver the message like you want me to. And Lord, we pray for our situation Sunday, once again asking that you would put a hedge of protection around us, that the authorities wouldn't have any problem with us meeting together. And uh, Lord, bless the folks that come. We know many are anxious to be back in the church house, and we're anxious to have them here. So we would pray that you put a hedge of protection around us from this virus, that no one would become sick because we had church. And so we ask you to bless our time in your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The title of our study tonight is Rooted in Christ's Word. And of course, we're dealing with being rooted rooted and uh, fruit by the bushel. And uh, we started this last week and we're going to continue this week. We live in an age that celebrates cultural diversity. Culture is deep-rooted, intriguing, and appealing to our sense of heritage. And many people are tempted to place culture, whether it's their own heritage or simply another culture that interests them, above the truth. Sometimes our interest in culture goes no further than the healthy study or enjoyment of ethnic food. It may be more in-depth, extending to language, fashion, and social traditions. At its ultimate and most dangerous, extreme interest in culture can lead us to the embracing of religious teachings and practices that are contrary to the truth of the Word of God. Our relationship to God's truth affects every other relationship, not only in this life, but in eternal life as well. In this life, what we do with the truth today affects every aspect of our everyday lives and relationships. Our relationship to truth affects us today if we reject the truth of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection as a substitute for our sin, we will suffer for eternity in the place the Bible calls hell. Jesus, of course, knew the ramifications of this. As we see through his prayers in John 17, and that entire chapter is dedicated to the prayer of Jesus Christ. That chapter contains what many refer to as Christ's intercessory prayer. And in reading this prayer, we have the opportunity to look at it this way, that we have the opportunity to listen in as Jesus prays for his disciples and that group his disciples includes us even today. In John 17, 20, Jesus says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And he's talking about future believers. Then in verse 17 of that text, he says, Sanctify them through thy truth. <clears throat> thy word 
is truth. And so he's praying to the Heavenly Father. And Jesus knew his disciples would only grow and become sanctified if they were firmly planted in the truth of the Word of God. It's this truth the Apostle John is speaking about in 2 John as he writes to someone he refers to as the elect lady and her children. In this time we're going to spend together, we're going to look at this letter John wrote, and we're going to learn how we can be rooted in the truth of God's Word. A little background information. 2 John is written by the Apostle John, who refers to himself as the elder. And John warns against false teachers that were abounding in the first century, especially in a region known as Asia Minor, which today would be the modern-day Turkey. Among these false teachers were Gnostics who taught that the material world was evil, knowledge was supreme. And you can believe there is a God, but he cannot be known personally. Many of them denied the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are two views concerning the phrase to the elect lady and her children. Some believe the word lady is personifying a local church and that the phrase her children refers to the members of this church. Others believe the word lady refers to a particular woman in Asia Minor, perhaps a lady who opened her home as a location for a church. Rootedness in Christ means we're connected not only to Christ, but also to his people. We relate to other Christians with respect to the truth that we hold in common. And that truth is the basis for the epistle of 2 John. And so the first thing we want to see tonight, we want to look at being prepared to receive. Being prepared to receive. And uh, <clears throat> let me see what I did wrong here. Well, rooted in Christ, we are prepared to receive. From the outset of this letter, John shares the foundation of his relationship to the elect lady. This letter is all about truth, not about the lady, not about her house in Asia Minor. It's all about truth. It's the same with our church, Christ's church. We must never forget that this truth about which John spoke is the reason we gather. It's not about people, buildings, or culture. We gather because of the truth, the truth of God's Word. It's our bond. Evident in all areas of life is the fact that the common beliefs create common bonds. Some bonds are developed through similar tastes in food. For instance, one person may like Mexican food. <clears throat> Mrs. Gilmore. Uh, that person would enjoy going to eat with a friend who enjoys Mexican food. It would be the same with Chinese food, pizza, favorite fast food restaurants, etc. The bond is the common affinity for a particular food. It is a social bond. Other social bonds can be developed because... We're from similar geographical areas, have some similar educational background, or enjoy similar hobbies or similar financial circumstances. 
we find common denominators which, which help us to be uh, bonding together. Christians don't have to like the same food or cultural peculiarities. Our bond is the truth of the Word of God. And so when we gather, we gather together not because of social likes or dislikes, but it's all because we have that bond in the truth of the Word of God. There should be two chords in the bond of truth, love and discernment. Love that is based in truth is more solid than emotional come-and-go love which abounds around us. Truth-based love creates a deep spiritual bond. This is the kind of love we have for our fellow Christians. It's also the love God has for us, a firmly fixed love not dependent upon our performance. Our love, God's love for us is unconditional Nothing can separate us from it. His, for love, his love for us is based on the truth that he is love. And John uh, tells us that over in 1 John 4 and verse 8. In 1 John 4.10, we find this. Herein is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And then Romans 8 <clears throat> Very familiar verses, verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In addition to love, our bond of truth should have the cord of discernment. Discernment safeguards the truth, and that is why God does not call us to an indiscriminate bond of love. Philippians 1 and verses 9 and 10. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. We bond together with those who have like precious faith. We're to approve that which is excellent. Our love should abound with knowledge and judgment and discernment. God calls us to have doctrinal discernment, which is discernment in the truth. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it and have that discernment. While others may share a bond founded in their liking of a particular hobby, diet, or cultural idea, we are bound together as the New Testament Baptist Church because we believe the truths of God's Word. Doctrine is the glue that holds believers together in the local church. Listen, if, if we all had separate doc, doctrines, we would have no bond. We would have, have, have no relationship. But we're bonded together because we believe the same things. Acts 2, verse 42 and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. When a bond is based on anything other than the doctrinal truth of God's word, it is a weak temporal bond. And while we can have diversity in the areas of culture and circumstance and hobbies and preferences, there can be no diversity in truth. Truth is absolute. 
God's truth is singular. God's truth is supreme. God's truth is right. And it is our common bond. Not only that, it's our strength. It's our bond and it's our strength. The word truth in verse 2 is from the Greek word aletheia, meaning objectively what is true in any matter under consideration or according to truth. That's what truth will remain forever. It is a strong, abiding truth we can hold on to for it never changes no matter what the circumstances or culture. Thank God that the truth of God's word never changes. And we can stand on it and know. And dwelleth is from the Greek word meno. And it means to remain or to abide. The truth we embrace doesn't leave us. It is our strength. Malachi 3.6 For I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13.8 Jesus Christ the same yesterday, and today, and forever. The hobbies and all the other things of this world that we enjoy will not last forever. All of this is just temporal and uh, temporary. If your hobby is collecting and building model airplanes, those airplanes will crash and burn someday. If your hobby is hunting, someday your guns and trophies will burn. Fishing, motorcycling, cooking, whatever your hobby, it's only temporal, but the truth is eternal. The truth you believe and embrace will be your strength today, and they will be with you forever. As you spend time studying and practicing God's truths, you're spending time on what matters and what lasts. John wrote this letter to the elect lady, and he challenges her to be passionate in her commitment to the truth, and that in her love for hospitality, she would not compromise the truth. You know, it's very easy for us in our desire to reach out to other people to negotiate truth in our minds and hearts. Listen, we, we don't want to offend people. We don't look to be offensive in the message that we bring. We don't want to offend those we're hoping to encourage, so we allow ourselves to accept what we know to be false, hoping that acceptance will draw the person to us and eventually to the Lord. I, I made a little note there. Uh, I call it compromise. Too often we, we want to compromise and, and with the idea that maybe this will help me to win this person to the Lord. No truth is a much better system. Stay by the truth because the truth works. God and his truth never change. And we must not allow our passion for reaching or entertaining others to bring us to a place where we say these are really good people and I can help them if I won't be so dogmatic about my own beliefs. No, the truth is the truth. Truth doesn't change. Truth is the strength we need in our relationships with other people, believers and unbelievers alike. John challenged the elect lady not to lose the bond of truth, but to hold on to truth. And not only did John remind her that truth endures forever and is our strength, but he pointed out that the truth is actually encouraging. Look at verse 3. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father 
in truth and love. What energizing encouragement we find in those words, in truth and in love. God's goodness and grace are motivators that lead us along in our walk with him. His mercy, peace, and love cause us to desire his truth. And his truth, his truth is, his truth is, his truth, as we said earlier, is our strength. And it's truth that holds us firm, not only in our bonding together, but it's truth that holds us firm in our walk with God. The second thing we want to see is our responsibility with the truth. The most important knowledge of life is knowing Christ, and that knowledge brings a threefold responsibility. Number one, we need to walk. Verse four, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received the commandment from the Father. Just as every parent finds no greater joy than in the knowledge that his or her children walk in the truth, John experienced that great joy when he saw the elect lady's children walking in truth. They didn't only believe truth, they lived it, they walked in it. And uh, let me say from experience, it's a blessing to see children going on walking in the truth and uh, living by the truth. Now, this was undoubtedly a result of learning the truths of the doctrines of Christ, rehearsing those truths, and then applying those truths to their lives. The truths that had been delivered to these people were being believed and lived in their home. Walking in the truth implies more than a Sunday morning relationship. The truth is not something to set on a shelf or a dashboard as soon as church is over. If we're to become rooted and grounded in Christ, we must walk in the truth throughout the week, every day, all day. We will not walk in the truth if we hear truth on Sunday and only to live outside that truth on Monday. There must be a consistency. Those who walk in the truth live out Sunday's message on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and all throughout the week. They spend time in God's Word, not only in church on Sunday, but at home on Monday and throughout the week. They apply daily what God teaches them. They share with others what God has taught them. They continue in the truth. It is a purposeful choice from a sincere heart. That choice can become reality if we make practical, non-optional decisions for our life. And I'm going to give you some of these uh, practical decisions for our life. Number one, the decision to read the Word of God. Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 and 19. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of his law, and these statutes to do them. So here we find God instructing the kings of Israel to make his word central in their lives. It was through reading the Bible that they would learn to fear the Lord, to keep God's law, and to do what he said. They could lead rightly. They couldn't read light. 
They couldn't lead rightly without his truth before them every day. And I, I know that, that feeling. I know that understanding. I pray constantly for God's wisdom and direction as I'm called upon to lead people. Now, we're living in a day now. It's changed a little bit because of this virus. But in our time today, everybody's busy. Everybody's schedule is full. We have work, we have church, we have social obligations, sports, commuting, seminars, classes, and seemingly countless other things that all are in competition for our time. And the, the irony of it all is, we somehow manage to fit most of these into our schedule. And when we do, we look back and wonder, how, we, how are we getting it all done? What keeps us from including Bible reading in these busy schedules? Is it lack of time? Or is it really a lack of heart? I've learned by experience, we make time for what's important to us. A preacher back in the 19th century named Robert Chapman made a convincing statement. He said, the great cause of neglecting the scriptures is not one of time, but one of heart. Some idol taking the place of Christ. They give an illustration here. A college student who's away from his home and his family and his girlfriend he goes to school in the morning, works in the evening. He comes home dirty, tired, and ready to fall into bed. But the first place he goes when he gets back to campus is not his dorm room. It's the mail room. He's excitedly anticipating a letter from his girlfriend. Of course, we're talking about days before email. There it is, the letter. He can smell the perfume before he even sees the letter. He sits down on the bench, forgetting for the moment how utterly worn out he is. He carefully opens the letter so as not to risk tearing one word or letter. Then he carefully reads and rereads each word, sentence, and paragraph, even the return address, until he has it practically memorized. He wants to know what she has to say because he loves her and because she loves him. And he's willing to inconvenience himself to spend time in her presence through that letter, we would be wise to ask ourselves, do I read my love letter from God? And do I really love him? He loves you. Read his word. We're warned or told in Timothy that we should study the word of God. Study to show thyself approved unto God. a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to study the word, and too often we're, we're just content to read it. And I'm all for reading it. Don't get me wrong. But when questions come up, we should be willing to look for answers. When we don't understand something, we shouldn't just pass it off. We should, we should try to find answers and study and compare Scripture with Scripture. Many times when you're reading in one place in the Bible, it'll trigger something that you saw in another place in the Bible. 
It might be you need to turn there and compare. So we need to study the Word, and then we need to memorize the Word. Read it, study it, memorize it. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. We need to start out slowly and simply with our memorization. Choose a verse each week that will keep you focused in your Christian life, a verse that will help you know and apply truth. Write the verse down on a three-by-five card, put it in your pocket or your purse, and take it wherever you go. Set it on the desk at work. Set it on the counter at at home as you're cooking. Look at it. Read it out loud. Think on it. Ask God how it applies to your life today. I remember my Bible college days and biblical memorization, scriptural memorization was a big part of just about every class. And in order to, to get the memorization down, I remember making up cards, putting them in my pocket, and all day long, just looking at those cards, memorizing. I had a doctrines class where they gave us a whole, it was a ring about this big, and it had all these uh, Bible verse cards on it. And uh, our assignment was every class period we had, we had doctrines twice a week for an hour and a half. Uh, for every class, we had to memorize the next three of those cards. Sometimes it would be a verse, sometimes it would be a passage. And then when we came to class, we'd have to sit down and write out those verses. I learned something very, very quickly. If you're going to memorize and have to write out the verses, you better practice writing them out. It's funny how when you memorize a verse and then you write it out, sometimes it looks different. But listen, it'd be good to just carry some things and memorize that way. Have them with you, in front of you. We need to read the Word, study the Word, memorize the Word, and pray for an understanding of the Word. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Psalm 119, verse 18. It reveals to us that even the psalmist didn't understand all of the Scripture. So he asked the Lord to open his eyes so he could see what God wanted him to know from the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit is the illuminator and the teacher of God's Word. It is his nature to teach us God's Word, and it's our privilege to be able to ask him to teach us what we don't understand. He desires to give us understanding. John 14 and verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. We need to read. We need to study. We need to memorize. We need to apply the Word of God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. The application of God's Word is how it is fleshed out, if you understand what I'm saying there, lived out in our daily lives. It's what we do with what we learn in here and now. The desired end result of hearing truth is living truth. But be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only, 
deceiving your own selves. James chapter 1, verse 22. Our first responsibility to the truth is to walk in it. If we're going to walk in the truth, that means we need to read it, study it, memorize it, pray for the Holy Ghost to give us understanding, and then make the application of biblical truth to our life. But our responsibility to the truth doesn't end here. We also have the privilege an obligation to share the truth with other people. As Christians, we're responsible to be witnesses of the truth. This is done as the world sees our love for one another. Our love is, in fact, the world's litmus test as the validity, validity of our walk in truth. John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if ye have love one, if ye love, have love one to another. Christian love rooted in truth can be seen in our actions. It's seen when we live in harmony with our spouse. It's seen when we help someone who's going through a hard time financially. And it's seen when we forgive someone who pulls out in front of us in the church parking lot. It's shown when we listen to someone's heart, when we forgive a teacher who mistreats our child, or when we invite a new church member over to our home. If we preach truth through our words but do not witness to the truth through our lives that are motivated by love, our truth is not desirable to the world. Love founded in truth doesn't look like emotional type of love the world knows. That's part of the reason it's so appealing to the world. It's strong and enduring. Truth's love always stems from obedience to Christ. When we walk in truth, we will be witnesses for the truth. And finally, we warn concerning error. We need to warn. The word deceivers here in verse 7, he says, for many deceivers are entered into the world. It comes from a Greek word, planos, meaning misleading or leading into error. A vagabond, a tramp, an imposter, a corrupter. God warns us against being deceived by these false teachers, of which he says there are many. Deceivers, many of whom have large followings through the television, radio, or internet, are those who challenge, distort, or deny the truth. The fact is this, they themselves are deceived by the cheap deceiver of all, and we know who that is. If we're not wary of false teachers, our roots in truth will be destroyed, and we'll end up being uprooted spiritually. First Peter 5.8 Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion. Walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. A roaring lion is after us. A fellow named Bernard Kip Legat is a world-class runner, formerly from Kenya. During the 2000 Sydney Olympics, he was asked by an interviewer, 
how his country was able to produce so many great runners. Momentarily, Legat contemplated the African strategy for motivating success in running. With quick wit, he replied, it's the road signs, beware of lions. As Christians, we have a race to run and it's truth that keeps us in the competition. The Bible warns us to beware of lions, the deceiver whose goal is to cause us to lead the track of truth to our own destruction. Even way back when John's writing, there were deceivers who taught that Jesus Christ had not come in the flesh, that he really wasn't the Son of God. We know that Jehovah's Witness teach that Jesus Christ is not the eternal God, that he was less than the Father and not an equal part of the Trinity. Mormons teach that Jesus Christ was a man who somehow became God. Muslims deny that God ever had any son. They say Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. Many other religions, many other sects deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was so in the first century. It's still the same today. Many deny that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. The tragedy today, however, is that we are so far removed from the truth that many people believe that all religions are pretty much the same, with many of those who deny Christ's deity still claiming they believe in God and calling themselves Christians. I'm very leery of using that terminology, Christians, because of that. God calls us deception. The central questions we must ask to discern someone's position as relates to truth are these. Who do you believe Jesus Christ is? I've shared with you in dealing with Jehovah's Witness, that's one of the first questions I ask them. I want to know their position on the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, if they're honest and tell you their true position, then I inform them we have nothing more to talk about because I believe Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who came to this earth, was born of a virgin, took on the form of a man, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and shed his blood for our sin, and rose again the third day as the Son of God? Do you believe all that? I do. And then however they answer to these basic questions proves whether they're speaking the truth or deception. If they answer, no, I don't believe that about Jesus Christ, he's a false teacher. God's word labels him much more strongly than we likely would. He says, anyone who denies Jesus Christ is an antichrist. Anti means against. Those who teach that Jesus is not God in the flesh are against Christ. They're against the Christ we worship, opposing him in every way, while they may say they love God, they deny him, rejecting his son. 1 John 2, look at verse, turn back there. 1 John 2, look at verse 23. Whosoever denieth the son, the same hath not the father, but he that acknowledges the son hath the father also.
As John wrote to the elect lady who was given to hospitality and may not have always been discerning about false teachers, he warned her to give diligent attention to the truth lest she become uprooted in her understanding of truth. Paul had to deal with this in Galatians chapter 3. And he says, O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Paul was writing because these Galatians had started well, believing the truth and that salvation was through, simply through faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. But they had foolishly turned back to the law. And here Paul warns them that they were being deceived. And just as Paul warned the Galatians against turning from the truth they had known, John challenged the elect lady to look to herself that she not slip away from the truth she had received. And that same challenge is for us today. We have a legacy of truth that's been handed down to us through God's word and through the church. It's a heritage that men of God throughout history have preached and taught and defended, often at the cost of their lives. The truth is worth clinging to. And listen, our responsibility now is to hold fast to that truth and hand it down to the next generation coming behind us. And then lastly, we want to see our reward in the truth. Verses 9 through 12. Look there for just a minute. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you. And speak face to face that our joy may be full. Our relationship with one another and with the Lord is rooted in truth. We said we have a responsibility to walk in the truth. But there's more. We personally benefit through the truth. First, we have an eternal relationship through the truth. Only believers have the reward of an eternal relationship with God. Unbelievers cannot know God. Transgressive is the Greek word parabeno, which means to go by side of, to overstep, to neglect, to violate, to transgress, to depart. Abideth is from the Greek word meno. We have already seen this Greek word, which means to remain, to abide. And so the truth from this verse is very evident. If someone doesn't abide in the doctrine of Christ, he does not have God. If someone abides in the doctrine of Christ, he does have God. Well, that's a pretty simple test. John 3, 36 says this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. We said our culture embraces diversity today and 
to a fault. And our flesh wants to believe in the sincerity of people. We want to believe there are very sincere people when they pray to statues or they're so sincere when they bow down to Mecca publicly in the streets of New York City. Sadly, we may even rightfully say they pray more than I do. It bothers us when we see these people who are sincere, and yet they're sincerely wrong. True believers are rooted in Christ's truth. To abide in the doctrine of Christ is to abide in the belief of true salvation, which is through Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among them, whereby we must be saved. Many churches and individuals today seek for an emotional love, disregarding the fact that real love tells the truth about Jesus Christ. It is the truth, not loving feelings, that gives us an eternal relationship. 1 John 5 and verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. The reward of truth as an eternal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've accepted the truth that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose for your eternal life, if you've trusted in him and him alone, and you've an eternal reward far greater than any other. And then secondly, we have earthly fellowship. The reward of truth is also an earthly fellowship. Through the bond of truth, we have a level of fellowship with others that is sweet and sustaining. There's something very special about our fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. As we saw earlier in this lesson, this bond of truth necessitates discernment for which for that which is not true, John reiterates that concern with a specific instruction in verses 10 and 11. And we read this, and we really need to take this to heart. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not in your house, neither bid him Godspeed. I'm, I'm very adamant about how we need to deal with Jehovah's Witnesses. We don't buy their material. When they knock on your door, they want you to buy the watchtower don't want to buy it. Then they'll, they'll say, well, I'll just give it to you. Don't take it. It's damnable heresy. And when you take it, you're, you're, you're helping them fulfill what they believe is part of their work salvation. Don't bid them into your house. Don't say, God bless you and be on your way. John cautioned the elect lady she should not receive a false teacher into her house for the purpose of abiding him in his ministry. And that's the caution for us as well. If someone is opposed to Christ and his goal is to convert us away from the truth of the gospel, we're unwise to invite him into our home. The more we expose ourselves to false teaching, the more vulnerable we are to turning from the truth that we've known. And, uh, you know, these, these cults, the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons, they understand that. That's why they say, we want to come and have Bible study with you. They don't want to teach you truth. They want to teach you their heresy. That's why we don't invite them in to have Bible study. 
John is speaking here of those whose purpose is to minister false doctrine to us. Those are the ones that are dangerous to invite into our homes. He's not speaking of unsaved acquaintances we want to invite into our homes for a meal to share the gospel with them. When our fellowship is based in truth, it brings us great blessing. In verse 12, we see that John was anxious to see his elect lady because the sharing of the truth brings great joy. This is a good self-test for our love for the truth. Do we look forward to the fellowship at the church? I know a lot of our folks are missing church. Many of them have vocalized, and many of them have said, I really miss church. That's a wonderful thing. Do you look forward to the fellowship of the church? Do we look forward to hearing the lesson in our Sunday school class? Do we have joy in being with other Christians in the church house? Our relationship to the truth is a bond much stronger than the world can understand or comprehend. Without truth, there would be no rootedness or lasting fruit in our lives. But that truth carries with it a responsibility. We, as believers, are responsible to walk in the truth that we've been shown. As we walk in that truth and our spiritual roots dig progressively deeper into Christ, he will develop in us the love that is a witness to the truth. And that love will cause us to warn others about the deception and destruction that accompanies following false teachers. Truth carries more than responsibility. It brings reward. That reward is eternal life with Jesus Christ and fellowship one with another. There is no substitute for the blessings that come through being rooted and grounded in Christ. And truth is at the basis of rootedness. Rooted in Christ's truth. Father, thank you once again. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to present this lesson. And I pray that you would you would meet the need of every heart and every life that's heard the lesson, that it might be a help and encouragement to them. Have your will and way in every heart and life, and we especially pray for any who, who might have listened tonight and aren't saved. I pray that they would come to Christ, they would bow the knee, they would open their heart to Jesus Christ and be saved forever. We ask this and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.